A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the Unplayable Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to talk about Australia's 4-1 ODI series loss to India, the latest update in the Ben Stokes saga, and get you up to speed on the JLT One Day Cup. Here to do all that and more is former News Limited Chief Cricket Writer, Mr. Malcolm Conn, who is still beaming after the Richmond Tigers took out the AFL Premiership. Mal, how was it? Uh, Sammy, it was uh, magnificent, you've got to say. Uh Going to the two earlier finals with uh, 95,000 people there and then uh, over 100,000 at the grand final, uh, 300,000 for three games. And uh, to watch a team that had uh, finished 13th the year before and, and not won a premiership for 37 years in feeding, not, not played in a grand final for 35 years, to, uh, to have a final series like they did when they just closed down some great sides was, uh, was magnificent. So, uh, yes, absolutely stoked, very excited and a great way to move into the cricket season. Mal, we start with some massive news. News. James Pattinson has been ruled out of the Magellan Ash series. The 27-year-old has re-aggravated a lower back stress fracture and will now take an indefinite break from the game as he recovers well, 50 days out from the Ashes. What a blow that is for the Australians. It is a blow, unfortunately, uh, for Australia. Poor James has had a real struggle with uh, those stress-related uh, problems in his back. Um, unfortunately, it's no real surprise given the ongoing issues that he's had and the fact that it's flared up again. So... Um, we can only wish him all the best. Uh, looking back uh, from when he debuted six years ago against New Zealand, uh, out of all the young fast bowlers in Australia, and we've got some really good ones, I thought he was going to be the pick of them. He was fast. He was aggressive. He had a very strong action. He bowled a uh, good out, natural outswing. So he, he had no problems taking it up to the batsman, and he was just constantly dangerous. So uh, it's a real shame that uh, we've only seen 17 tests in six years from him because uh, he's a quality bowler when he's at his best. Next question now is, Mal, who comes into that big four? Now, there's not going to be a big four of Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins and Pattinson this summer. Uh, if one of those other three quicks goes down, who's the next in line? Is it a Jackson Bird? Is it a Nathan Coulton-Nile? Or maybe a Bolter? Someone else? Well, I think it depends which way the selectors want to go. Uh, they really haven't used Jackson Bird all that much. I think he's a fine bowler. He bowls back of a length, so he probably bowls a bit short at times. Um does ask the question with uh, very straight uh, sort of stump to stump deliveries uh, not all that quick really in the in the scheme of fast bowling so I tend to think that if they're looking for bowlers with a bit more grunt they might go for a coup to Nile um, we could even see someone like a Berendorf who's had good seasons uh, bowls left arm for uh, Western Australia although as stark as the left armor that might not be uh, uh, the case they may not uh, feel that that's necessary um i'd like to see a bolt which might be a bit young but uh, and a bit soon but uh, mickey edwards the new south wales fast bowler is oh. only played the two jlt cup games but uh, he got four wickets uh, on the weekend and uh, wouldn't be surprised me by the end of the summer if he was there or thereabouts if he stayed fit but uh, clearly he's a long way away from that first test match i think you've got your new south wales cap on there family mal uh, to australian news and the australians have wrapped up their one day series in india it didn't start real well for them they were three nil down last time we spoke on this podcast and uh, got a little bit better Steve Smith's men won the fourth one day uh, thanks to a century to David Warner and 94 to Aaron Finch but then it all fell apart in the fifth game in Nagpur uh, crushed by seven wickets to end the series on a low note batting collapses again remained the theme for the Aussies standing coach David Saker said the batsmen were playing scared 
and that they were looking after themselves a little bit uh, when they get in that mind frame. Um, now it's fairly alarming when the, when the coach is saying things like that. Yes, and you can clearly see what he means. Uh, you've got players who are inexperienced, they're in difficult conditions, the team's not going well, and so the first thing you look at, do is, looking at doing is preserving a wicket and, and preserving your place in the team, obviously. It's the, it's the natural uh, gaze of a sportsman to uh, look inward rather than outward if things mm-hmm. aren't going well. So um, I think that showed a, a lack of experience with the Australians, um, difficult conditions. Uh, Warner uh, had a slow start but uh, finished off well. Uh, apart from him and the odd cameo here and there, it was pretty disappointing. Uh, highlighting Australia's problems in the subcontinent, but also uh, the big change over in the team since the World Cup in uh, early 2005. So what's that, two and a half years ago now? Yeah. Uh, won that uh, with a fantastic campaign, but uh, really are turning over players now. And it was been very interesting to see Sean Marsh make uh, big runs yep. in the uh, JLT Cup, uh, the One Day Cup, which has uh, just started. And uh, obviously he's um, probably in the front of the queue putting his hand up for the one-day series against England later in the summer. That's right. Uh, well, let's talk about some of the positives out of that series. Uh, one of the bigger ones was Nathan Coulter-Nile. He made a successful return out of cricket for about a year with uh, injuries. He was the leading wicket-taker in the five-match series, 10 wickets at 25. And Kane Richardson, he came in as cover for Ashton Agar, who broke his finger. He took seven wickets at 227 so uh, a disappointing series with the bat, but the bowls, I think, stood up, led by Coulton Isle. Uh, yeah, and great to see him back in action. I've sort of been watching him for some time, and he's a, a wonderful athlete and uh, got magnificent attributes. He's a big, strong, fast bowler, bowls a good pace, swings it away consistently. And if he can get a good run at it, then uh, he's got to be in the frame. The thing about fast bowlers, is he amongst uh, others have proved, is that there are always injuries. So if you're on song and playing well then you're a real chance to play. So he would have to be in the, in the, sort of the top half dozen Australian fast bowlers to be considered uh, if there were anybody falling over during the summer if he can string matches together in the Sheffield Shield and prove that he's got some miles on his legs and, and uh, a bit of durability with his body. It does show that the depth in the Australian fast bowling ranks when you've got Nathan Goulton Oil coming back in that series, there was no Stark, Hayeswood, lots of fast bowling depth, and Kay Richardson again coming in and performing. Uh, at the top of the order, Aaron Finch, he missed the first couple of games with a calf injury, basically had to convince, almost beg the selectors to play the third game, and it paid off when he got 100, and then he backed it up with nine in the next game. Uh, he's going to be a real key to Australia's top order, the experience now. Um, I remember in that, that 2015 World Cup, there was a little bit of conjecture about his spot opening the batting, but he's Australia's uh, premier opener alongside David Warner now in limited overs cricket. Well, he just keeps answering the question, doesn't he? Every time uh, he might have a bit of a bad trot and people are saying, oh, should he be in the team? Then uh, he comes out and, and uh, plays a big innings and a very potent player. I mean, if him and Warner are both going at the top of the order, then they really can set you up and take the game away from other teams. And that's why it's disappointing that someone who can play as well as he did in, in those two matches, uh, when Australia can only pl- come away with one win. And if you consider that both he and Warner um, did have good series at the top of the order, I mean, you could argue that uh, in India, uh, the best time to bat is first. The yeah. ball's hard, the, the pitch... Uh, Pitches can be quite slow, so the ball's coming on and, and it's easier to hit over the infield uh, before it's pushed out. But having said that, um, they did get the runs. They did get the team off to good starts at various stages and unfortunately the middle order failed to capitalise. David Warner, as we mentioned, he got 245 runs at 49 in the series and his century was key to breaking that horrible away record for Australia, something like 12 matches without winning 
one day from ho- away from home. Another guy with a bat who performed well was Marcus Stoinis. He averaged 76 and a half in the end, but he had three not outs to his name, only out twice in the series. Also picked up two wickets with the ball. Uh, Graham Hick has said that he's going to be in contention for that number six spot in the Magellan Ashes. Mal, where do you reckon? Can you see Marcus Stoinis, who's made a real, real fist of it in international cricket in 2017? Could he possibly be a bolter for that number six spot in that first test of the Gabba? Well, I think that uh, number six spot is wide open. I think that anybody who gets runs uh, consistently, three Shield games leading into that series, uh, I think that um, you've got to be a chance. And obviously, uh, he's had some uh, good cricket with Victoria. He's been a bit up and down. He's gone back to Perth, but certainly in the one-day arena for Australia, uh, playing... International opponents, he's played well. Uh, clearly uh, different games, the Test match compared to the one-day game. But if you're making runs at international cricket, your confidence is up. And uh, if you can use that as a launching pad to then go into the Sheffield Shield and, and have a good start to the Sheffield Shield, gee whiz, you'd be putting his hand up with everyone else. And Paddy Cummins is fit and firing. He made it through the series unscathed. Uh, we also didn't talk about James Pattinson before. He's another fast bowler that didn't feature in that series. Uh, he's going to come back now and prepare for it. The Ashes, he's going to have those Shield games. Uh, he might play a part in the JLT One Day Cup at the back end of the tournament. Uh, it's really good to see him come out of that because he's going to have a big summer, isn't he, Mel? Well, that's right, and it was fantastic to see him basically standing up and leading the Australian attack without uh, Stark and Hazelwood over there. He was suddenly the main man, and... Um, as you would expect for someone who's as good as he is and uh, works as hard as he does, um, he stood up pretty well in the circumstances, I thought. Uh, very exciting to see him be able to get the ball, throw a good pace and good bounce on, on flat subcontinental wickets, both on the Test Tour of Bangladesh and then in India. To, to think that the first Test is going to be played at the uh, at the Gabba in uh, a month or so, um, and you, you think that uh, with the pace and bounce that he can generate, he could be a real handful. So very exciting summer with Paddy Cummins coming up. On the other side, there are a few question marks coming out of that series. Both Glenn Maxwell and Matthew Wade were dropped throughout the series. Uh, Wade was dropped and then recalled for one match later. Peter Hanscom took the gloves with him and they brought Wade back in. When Glenn Maxwell went out of the side, Maxwell averaged 19.3 in the series. Wade just 11 in four matches. What do we read into that, Mal? I mean, those two guys are the incumbents in the test match team. They're struggling to stay in the one-day setup. A bit different. Those shield games are going to be vitally important for those two Victorians. Well... Victorian and now a Tasmanian. Well, yes, they will. And uh, it's disappointing that neither of them really grasped the opportunity when it was presented to them. Uh, certainly Maxwell has had a number of opportunities and at various stages and certainly did in the, on that India tour when he made that fine century. He sort of he grasped that opportunity. And you could argue if you're talking about test cricket, he deserves to ha- hang on to that spot as a result. But he's just got to do more at international level. Wade's been disappointing. Um, he's, he's keeping... Uh, in the subcontinent was generally pretty good, both in Bangladesh and in India. But um, he's been picked for his batting uh, in the same way that Peter Neville lost his place for his batting. Uh, and so if you pick for your batting, you've got to stand up and make some runs. So I think that uh, both of them are under a lot of pressure. Uh, both of them do have to put their hand up during this uh, three-shield uh, stretch going into the Ashes series and make an impact or I think that they'll be overtaken. Number four spot's been a bit of an issue since George Bailey left the role. He was there for the five matches uh, against India. 119 runs at 24. Are we going to stick with him, or Australian selectors going to stick with him? Mal, is he the number four long-term solution? I think he probably is in the one-day game. Uh, I think it highlights that how difficult it is to start in India. Uh, If you haven't got a lot of experience... If you're coming in with a spinner's bowling, the ball's holding up, you're having got the pace of the fast bowlers to work off. The field's out, so even if you get a hold of it, you're probably only going to get a single anyway. So 
it's pretty tough. You've got to find a way. Uh, he didn't. Uh, but I think he's a good enough cricketer to continue to make an impression. Uh, I think he deserves to continue to have the opportunities in the one-day team and also a very handy off-spinner as well to give you that extra bowling option. So I think that uh, he deserves more opportunities. Uh, you've got to do a bit more, I think, to be considered for the test side, but certainly in the one-day side, I think that... Um, even though his series was disappointing, he wasn't the only one, and I think that uh, he's probably got more to offer in the future. I think it's fair to say that the Aussie setup in almost all three formats is pretty settled when it comes to the bowling, but the batting seems to just be a bit of a problem for the Australians at the moment. In the one-day game, uh, Warner and Finch, the top of the order, look pretty set, but from then on, they just don't know the right combination. Where does Smith bat? Does Quasar come in? Is head number four? Hans can play a role in that series. Then where do you start with the all-rounders? Maxwell... Marcus Stoinis, Hilton Cartwright had a couple of games in this series. They're 18 months away from that World Cup, Mal. How, just how settled or unsettled is this Australian batting lineup? Well, it's very unsettled. And we saw that in India, how there was chopping and changing and blokes weren't going well. And it all sort of um, has a multiplier effect. If you're not going well and you see your mate get dropped, you're hanging in there, uh, not playing with freedom, but trying to sort of bunt one and get down the other end and get a few runs to make it look like you're going all right. Um, I think that the top three you know, are pretty settled. You'd want Smith at three in your one-day side. You want him playing a lot of cricket. You don't want him at four. But the test side with him at four looks pretty good. It sort of uh, spreads that middle order a bit. You would think that Kawaja would come back at the number three spot for the Ashes uh, with uh, Smith at four and uh, Hanscom at five. And uh, then that number six spot's wide open. So I'm not quite so concerned about the test team. Uh, but that one-day team is in a real state of flux at the moment. What do they do now between now and the World Cup? Do they just go, right, 18 months out, we're going to pick six players, we're going to stick with them, or is it just going to be a matter of rotating them through until someone stands up? You've got to give players reasonable opportunities. You've got to say, OK, um, we want you to be our man and we're going to run with you. I think that you know Head deserves a reasonable uh, opportunity. Uh, I think that Stoinis, um, because he is a handy bowler as well, can whack the ballers I've seen. He deserves to, uh, to be persevered with. So I think you've just got to pick who you think your best players are and stick with them and hope that uh, they gel as a team uh, through the one day as coming up this summer. I just don't think that there's any point chopping and changing uh, and actually making things worse. Unless someone's going very badly, I think you've just got to back them in. And we've also like, we'll have a bit of a preview next next winter or the northern summer when Australia go over to England play a limited over series over there so you would think that that team that squad that goes over there will probably be a, a, a fair indication of where the Australian selectors are going looking towards that 2019 World Cup in England yeah that's right and uh, there'll be a bit of a, a reverse situation there with the batting in that in England the ball will do a fair bit early and so the openers will have more problems rather than in India where it's probably the easiest place to bat. In the middle order it'll probably settle down a bit and it might be a bit easier. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out but uh, certainly people have to start putting their hands up. Let's stick with England and look at England's Ashes squad. England named their Ashes squad last week with Vice-Captain Ben Stokes in the 16-player group, uh, but his participation in the Magellan Ashes is cloudy at best following his alleged involvement in a street brawl very early on a Monday morning after a one-day against the West Indies. The ECB has suspended Stokes and Alex Hale, who was also there or allegedly involved, uh, until further notice. Mal, before we get into the squad, can you see Stokes taking any part in this Ashes series? Well... 
I certainly can't speak on uh, the ECB's behalf, but certainly uh, having seen the circumstances, having seen the footage and, and given the fact that uh, both Stokes and Hales have been suspended indefinitely by the ECB, uh, presumably pending the police inquiry, uh, I think that uh, it would be very difficult for him to tour. I mean, you have to look back and say, well, Andrew Strauss, who was a, who was a good captain and, and obviously a very um, smart guy in a central role in English cricket, if he thought that Kevin Peterson had to go from the dressing room because he was a bad influence, mm. then being an ordinary bloke in the dressing room is a step removed from from the sorts of things that um, we've been seeing and what have, on video and what have been investigated by police. So... I, would, I think that Stokes is in real trouble uh, on coming on the Ashes tour, to be quite honest. The, the Australian players that have been questioned about Stokes' involvement, they've said that he's not the be-all and end-all and there are other players to watch out for, but just how big a blow would it be for England if he didn't tour? Oh, he's, the, he's their key. He's their central player. I mean, for, for all the talk about Australia's batting a lineup in the one day, as England's batting a lineup in the test matches looks a bit of a mess at the moment. They haven't been able to settle their order down. Uh, you've got two uh, numbers two, three, and five who just are not settled at all. Um, and Stokes coming in at number six as one of three all rounders, or Bearstow perhaps at six and Stokes at seven, depending on how they want to do it. But Bearstow, Stokes, and Mo and Ali have really been the backbone of that side. The six, seven, and eight have really got them out of jail a few times, along with obviously Cook opening the batting and Root at four. But if they haven't got Stokes there, not only to as a, an attacking, game-changing batsman, but also a uh, a very good, underrated, genuinely fast bowler at times, then I reckon that England side looks pretty ordinary. All right, let's have a look at this. squad. Joe Root leads the squad with Moan Alley, James Anderson, Johnny Bairstow, Jake Ball, Gary Balance, Stuart Broad, Alistair Cook, Mason Crane, Ben Folkes, Darwood Milan, Craig Overton, Ben Stokes, Mark Stoneman, James Vince and Chris Wokes. Now, the key points of that, Mal, uh, Balance and Vince have been recalled. Stoneman and Milan retained. There's been no Mark Wood, but he's going to play for the England Lions, which will also be here uh, during Perth and Brisbane. Uh, Jake Ball and uh, Craig Overton, they're going to support James Anderson, Stuart Broad and Chris Wokes. Mason Crane, the leg is being picked, and folks, he's going to be the reserve wicketkeeper. Let's analyse this a little bit further, and we'll get into the batting. Now, the, the real shock, I would say, from that squad is that James Vince has been recalled, who's seven test matches for England, uh, only yielded an average of 19.27 in his first-class form this year. He's only uh, uh, 34 per at-bat. So if we're looking at that, those numbers don't speak. Fantastic for James Vince, who has a bit of ex- experience out here in Australia. And then Gary Balance who was picked in the England's test side at the start of the summer, fractured his finger and was ruled out, and since then hasn't passed 29. Um, uh, what do we make of that, Mal? Two players that seemingly uh, are out a bit of, out a bit of form, but uh, they've been shown a bit of faith by the England selectors. Well, I just think it highlights how much trouble England's having in finding... Uh, reliable players in their batting lineup, and uh, to me, it's uh, it's an act of desperation that Vince and Balance have been recalled. I mean, neither of them have done anything to justify it. They're sort of, you could say, they're, they're there by default because the other players have played poorly. Um, they both have international experience. Uh, coming to Australia, I suppose that's what um, Trevor Bayliss and the selection panel were probably looking for. But uh, Vince has done nothing to convince us that uh, he's uh, the solution at the top level. And uh, uh, watching Gary Balance bat, just his technique, the way he sort of spreads his back foot and then leaves himself stranded at the crease. Um, and 
even uh, the way he pushes so far back, even when he plays forward, he's only just in front of the crease, so he's susceptible to leg before as well as being sort of out of position at times to play the ball and, and a potential nicker with the ball going across him. So I have to say that uh, neither of them fill me with any confidence. Joe going to have a lot of pressure on him as the captain, but is he going to feel it even more knowing that he's batting a lineup? isn't as solid as he would have liked and he's going to have to really score basically bulk runs every time he gets at the bat. I mean, the pressure on him to score is going to be so immense. Do you reckon it might get to him? Well, it depends how they start, obviously, but uh, if Australians start knocking knocking over Cook early at the top of the order and and exposing a a pretty fragile England uh, batting lineup, and then Root has to come in um, at number four with two early wickets down and... uh, not much uh, around him, then uh, I think that he will start to feel it. There's no question. It'll, it, I think touring Australia in some ways can be a bit like touring India and in that once Australia gets on top of you, it can be very hard to climb off the canvas. They're bowlers, the quicks. have got two fantastic leaders there in Stuart Broad and James Anderson who will come to the series with nearly a 1,000 test match wickets between them, which is fantastic. But do you think uh, those two with the likes of Chris Wokes, Overton if he gets a run, Jake Ball if he gets a run, will they have enough velocity or enough skills to, to trouble the Australian batsman on these wickets? I think that their bowling um, could be brutally exposed in the same way it was here uh, four years ago when during the 5-0 whitewash. I just remember back to Perth when uh, Shane Watson made that blazing second innings 100 when Australia was chasing quick runs and he and... Um, and George Bailey just yeah. kept hitting uh, Swan and Anderson back into the grandstand. So yeah. to watch Bailey hitting Anderson back over his head into the grandstand, uh, I just think that Anderson's played a lot of cricket. He's getting on um, unless he can find something special. He's got a pretty ordinary record in Australia, and I think that they could, really could go after him once the the shine's off the ball. Broad, I think, is a different proposition. He, he does he is a bounce bowler, and if he can stay fit, his bounce... Um, could be a real asset. Um, as far as the rest of the bowlers goes, um, I rate Stokes, but the rest of them I think could be pretty pedestrian out here. Um, and certainly uh, as far as the spinners go, uh, Australia's a, a graveyard for off spinners. So Mo and Ali, um, I'd be surprised if he has much of an impact. Um, having said that, he did remarkably well against South Africa yeah. <laughs> uh, earlier in the year. Uh, Mason Crane's an interesting one. Um, must be a good player because he got a game for uh, the New South Wales Blues against uh, <laughs> South Australia last season after dominating um, the uh, McDonald's Premier Cricket uh, in New South Wales. Um, was joint winner of the Bill O'Reilly medal uh, after uh, bamboozling many a batsman at that uh, grade level. So... It'd be an interesting one if they throw him in, uh, and I hope they do because he might bowl some bad balls, but he also does ha- spin it, does have good variations, and as we've seen occasionally, leg spinners can get wickets with their bad balls as well as their good ones. I guess that leads into the next point, the all-rounders. How does, this, how does the team balance work with England? Because they've got so many versatile players. Does it confuse them a little bit when you do have the likes of Stokes, Wokes, Alley? Then do you start relying on, well, do you pick two specialists, fast bowls and a then a spinner to accompany Wokes and Stokes or then do you go three quicks and just alley the spinner or I mean I guess it's a good problem to have but I don't think they've quite nailed it uh, what their best 11 is and what that best bowling attack is well a conservative approach would be and it'll be interesting to see what they do because Trevor Bayless obviously is an Australian coach who comes out of New South Wales which has always had an attacking philosophy but the conservative approach would be to, to play uh, Moen Ali as your only spinner and uh, use your quick slash or rounders because Wokes can bat as well and he'll probably be coming in at nine. 
um, which means it gives you a nice contained steady attack. You can set a feel to it. Um, you bat deep. Uh, but will you bowl anybody out? Are you feeling about winning it? Uh, they could say, oh, in Brisbane, you know, we'll only play the one spinner. Uh, but uh, Brisbane is Shane Warne's best ground. Yeah, and, and Nathan Lyons. Nathan yeah. Lyons' best ground. Stuart McGill had great success in Brisbane. So because it bounces and because there are footmarks that that do um, work up a little bit during the course of the game with that extra pace and bounce that creates a nip for the spinners, then uh, I'd be throwing caution to the wind and saying, I don't think our quicks are going to bowl Australia out twice. I think that uh, Mason Crane has got to be the man. So I'd be surprised if they chucked him in. I, I think that they would go conservative, but if it was up to me, I just think you've just got to take the chance and give the kid an opportunity. Now we're 50 days out. Early prediction, how can you, can you see the, the Test Match Series unfolding? Uh, well, my prediction would be 4-0 on the basis that it might rain somewhere. I think that uh, I think that Australia will flog them. I think that Australia's batting, yes, it's a bit flaky. Yes, there might be some reasonably low scores, but I think Australia's pace bowling is such a standout. Uh, and Nathan Lyon is in such good form as in support that I really think that they could give the English batsmen a really good working over. We know the Gabba, uh, where the first test is, is an absolute fortress. Uh, England just consistently turn up and get belted at the Gabba. Um, I can see that happening again. And if they get belted there, it could knock the stuffing out of a what's a pretty fragile side. So I think that um, if England win a test match in Australia with that side, and particularly if Stokes doesn't come, I think it'll be a miracle. Now we're focused on the international stuff. Now let's turn our attention to the domestic stuff and the JLT One Day Cup. The JLT One Day Cup started with the Cricket Australia 11 beating South Australia by seven wickets at AB Field, chasing down 255 with a few overs up their sleeves. Two days later, Queensland beat the Cricket Australia 11. WA knocked off New South Wales by nine runs over in Perth after the Blues lost six for 28 when victory was within reach. Easy for me to say. True to form, the Redbacks then thumped Queensland before WA knocked off Victoria and New South Wales comfortably beat Tasmania by 102 runs. And as we record this podcast, Mount Victoria are taking on Tasmania in Perth. So after that first week or so of competition, it looks pretty even, Mal. Yeah, it does. Uh, and there's been some terrific performances in that competition too. Uh, great to see the uh, the CA11 sort of standing up and playing well. It's certainly that concept as is starting to... Um, formulate um, the first season they were the easy beats last season they played better and this season they seem to be playing better again so uh, giving young players an opportunity to push through um, we've seen a few of them uh, come through and get uh, roles in various state squads over the last year or two so that concept's good and the and the strength of the competition has been terrific for anybody who's had the chance to watch on the cricket.com.au stream uh, it's been terrific Good plug, Mal. Uh, let's just talk a little bit more about that, that CA11. Steve O'Keefe said in the preview podcast last week that it's the strongest CA11 that he's seen assembled with a couple of uh, first-class players there in that uh, in that squad. They've only won one game in their first two seasons. They've matched that now in 2017-18. It's probably been probably a little bit undervalued, I would say, by some of the other states around the country. But if they keep producing results like that and beating the state teams... There's no reason why it shouldn't continue. Well, that's right. I mean, New South Wales has a classic example in Ryan Gibson, who played in the CA11, played really well, uh, and then has forced his way into the New South Wales uh, Blues team and uh, has a state contract. So certainly uh, he's one example of a player who's really benefited from the opportunity to, to play that extra cricket at a higher level when he wouldn't have got a game for New South Wales. The defending champions start off with a loss against uh, Western Australia over there at the Wacker. Uh, they were chasing 270 win and they were 4 for 232 before being, 
before being bowled out for 260. Uh, Sean Marsh also made 132 in that match. Not out. Uh, a fantastic effort by the Warriors to claw that one back. Well, yes, it was. Um, New South Wales looked like they were absolutely cruising to victory. In fact, they were cruising to victory, but it was one of those classic cases of a lot of people getting starts and looking good and no one really pressing on. And that was a difference between WA and New South Wales in the, in the end where Sean Marsh basically got... Half WA's runs looked really good in a hunt for 132 not out. If any one of the top four New South Welshmen who all got starts had gone on and made 100, New South Wales would have won that game easily and should have. But all credit to uh, WA. They hung in when the game looked gone and uh, you never know. <laughs> they pinched it. The Redbacks bounced back from that loss to the CA11 to beat Queensland off the back of uh, five wickets to Joe Minnie and 115 to Tom Cooper. The two veterans, Mal, they've been around the ranks for a little while. Both have played in national cricket. Good to see them putting some performances on the board. Yeah, and uh, terrific for Tommy Cooper, who actually lost his contract at one stage and has, and has got it back again with uh, sheer weight of performance. So, yeah, good on him. Another, uh, in fact, uh, both good New South Wales boys originally who <laughs> are now firing for, for South Australia, and they need to stand up too because South Australia's been pretty inconsistent over the journey in cricket, although the last couple of Shield seasons have been significantly better. So, uh, without uh, Travis Head, they're a, look a pretty thin batting lineup, but uh, they've uh, they stood up there when it counted. A New South Wales player still playing for the Blues is Nick Maddinson, and he scored a blazing century, 137 off 119 balls with 23 fours and a six. Mel, um, I watched a bit of that innings, and he looked like he was just running at the bowling. He just wanted to hit everything over the fence, uh, or at least uh, to it. A fantastic innings by Nick Maddinson. He normally starts off this the seasons pretty well and then sort of goes up and down throughout the summer, but let's hope he can kick on here and uh, push for that test recall. Now that's right. Once he gets in and starts to feel good, it can be impossible to bowl to. Uh, and the Tasmanians certainly found that. There was just nowhere that they could bowl. He was just smacking the ball everywhere. So he's an amazing talent. Uh, he needs to be more consistent. Um, his batting average in first-class cricket's only in the, in the mid-30s. It should be better than that. Uh, and yet we'll, we'll see innings like that um, probably sort of four or five times during the season. Uh, we'll see him come out and play an innings that is just a, simply a match-winning innings. Uh, that was the case there when he set the game up. We see that in Sheffield Shield sometimes. If uh, New South Wales is chasing a target on a difficult pitch and all of a sudden he comes out and makes a run ball 80 and just takes the game away from the opposition. So he's got the ability to do that. Uh, we just want to see it a bit more often. The competition now moves to Sydney after today's result in the West finishes up. Uh, and on Sunday, Mal, there's going to be a bit of history made when Claire Polisak becomes the first female to be an on-field umpire in an Australian men's domestic match. Fantastic effort and achievement by Claire. Yes, and well-deserved and, and thoroughly earned. She's worked her way through the system. She's umpired over uh, 100 matches of cricket, uh, a lot of grade cricket, uh, started as a 16-year-old uh, she did a press conference in front of a bank of cameras and uh, Associated Media today and uh, spoke very well. Um, obviously a very considered, uh, clear-thinking young woman. Uh, and uh, she sort of was quite happy to concede that it took her several goes to actually pass the initial test as a, as a 16-year-old before she qualified as an umpire, but she persisted and, and that persistence has paid off. And you can tell she's such a methodical, uh, clear-thinking person that it, uh, it make, makes her a good umpire. And... Uh, she certainly seems respected by all the guys that uh, she umpires uh, and has umpired uh, during the time that she's been involved. So uh, it's terrific for uh, Australian cricket and uh, terrific for uh, women in cricket. Absolutely. Uh, Mal, a couple of matches in for each side. You've made your Ashes prediction. May as well see uh, who you think is going to make the final or who's going to win the whole thing of the JLT One Day Cup. Well, I think WA 2 from 2. Um, I think that... Uh, 
they have got to be uh, in the box seat, I think, to make the final. Um, they're playing some good cricket. They're relying, obviously, very heavily on Sean Marsh. But uh, be interesting to see if Mitchell can stand up and uh, and do something with a bat. Uh, now he's captain and, and still unable to bowl. Uh, and uh, obviously, I <laughs> love New South Wales. They're going for three in a row. Uh, only team to ever do that before. They did it 15 years ago. And uh, interesting that Moses on Rex uh, was the, the leading scorer in their first game against WA when he made 72 and uh, in a game that New South Wales ultimately lost, as we've discussed. But uh, he went off to India for the uh, one day, uh, sorry, the T20s in India, the internationals. And uh, uh, New South Wales stepped up to the plate thanks to uh, Madison in particular and won the second game quite convincingly and, and now put themselves uh, back on track. So I think coming back to... Uh, uh, New South Wales and particularly with Mitchell Stark now available and able to play the New South Wales leg the last four games whether he plays all of them we'll see but uh, certainly given the way he dominated the competition two years ago when he took a record 26 wickets and an average of just eight you would think that him coming back the possibility even of uh, Cummings maybe playing later in the in the one day series as well that uh, New South Wales uh, would have to be well placed too. Fantastic. That's it for today's episode, Mal. Don't forget you can watch every ball of the JLT One Day Cup live and free on cricket.com.au, including Mitchell Stark's comeback game on Friday. And if you get a spare moment, subscribe, rate and write a review about the Unplayable podcast on iTunes. And you can also listen to each episode on Spotify. We'll catch you again next week. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.